welcome and thank you for joining us on this new episode of Mufid 19. I am Hisham Salam. I am joined by my co-host Amra Hamzawi. This is the second of two episodes discussing the Social Protection Egypt Project at the American University in Cairo. Our guests are once again project investigators Amra Adli and Dina Makram Abid. Welcome back to our conversation. Okay. I, I would like now to turn to the topic of healthcare. The project released a paper co-authored by Ala Ghanem and Ayman Saba on um, healthcare coverage in Egypt in pandemic times. How does a project assess the Egyptian government's healthcare response to the pandemic? I think to just say a general thing, um, um, one of the main things that the, the paper on healthcare looked at was um, how, again, the reach would have been way, way bigger if we had what the paper calls like a whole society approach in a way, um, which is basically the decentralization of, of the healthcare um, uh, interventions that we had. Um, and the paper argues that we do have a good infrastructure for that. Um, it just wasn't really materialized enough. So it became really centralized in the access to the healthcare and the access to information, you know, the preventive, because we weren't just interested in the kind of what was there, what were the interventions that happened, but the preventive healthcare uh, was quite limited, again, by the idea that everything was centralized. And so <clears throat> one of the main recommendations was specifically as we're thinking of, I mean, that, that paper on healthcare is a really important one because it also assesses our intervention and what it, what it means in the future as we implement the universal healthcare law, right? So the idea was, okay, there's something massive happening in the healthcare system. There will be universal um, healthcare coverage and, uh, or, or national healthcare coverage, and as you call it universal healthcare coverage of uh, everyone being able to access um, uh, healthcare. But what are the infrastructures that we're using? And I, I think one of the main things was we, we, it just can't be done in that very centralized way because you just don't end up using the resources that exist. To add that when we talk about whole society approach or the idea of like decentralization, the idea was that we have healthcare units or, you know, that should have been used much more instead of hospitals becoming the main center uh, of, uh, of focus. And, and then the, the a, lots of doctors falling ill uh, and um, passing away, unfortunately. But Kamen, uh, also the, the inability to have outreach. So, so, so the idea of outreach is in a variety of forms uh, in terms of preventive care and the use of the very widespread network of health units that we have in Egypt. But unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of trained manpower in it and a lot of... Uh, um, <clears throat> using it really much more properly. Yes, I, I just wanted to, to, to say that the, the, the particularly the paper on uh, the healthcare response uh, is extremely important, given the, the, the timing. Uh, and now we are working, of course, on uh, making some version of it available in Arabic, because what it does is uh, it's very rich uh, empirically. And it, uh, uh, of course, it contextualizes the kind of, of, of response. Uh, it, it provides also a timeline of the policies uh, and measures that were taken. So it reconstructs pretty much the uh, specific uh, uh, response by uh, uh, the state uh, and how it was uh, made. And this is something that, by the way, is uh, almost completely lacking. 
Uh, and it's it's done by uh, uh, people that have been active on uh, on on this front uh, for many years, uh, who are, uh, have been insiders uh, both to uh, uh, like the, the civil society uh, work uh, in that particular area, as well as to the public uh, sector uh, uh, healthcare system in, uh, in in Egypt. And and that's why I think that it's uh, pretty much a unique uh, uh, contribution, uh, really, uh, that uh, should uh, like be uh, uh, like taken directly into any kind of debate, especially that the pandemic uh, has hit again in the context of some uh, major uh, redefinition uh, and of, of the concept of healthcare, uh, as well as the restructuring of the uh, whole system with the, the pilot of the uh, uh, like universal healthcare. Uh, uh, that is being uh, uh, tried in in a number of of, of governorates. So uh, this itself is 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 very very uh, uh, important, really. In one of the papers produced by the project and that was written by Diana Magdi and Hinda Ahmed Zaki, the authors note an upward trend in cases of gender-based domestic violence. What uh, did COVID nineteen reveal about the capacity of the Egyptian state to combat this phenomena? Yeah, I think what we saw in the in the paper on uh, um, gender-based violence, a the long history of attempts to work towards domestic violence. So to also map out a little bit what were the initiatives that existed before, how were they calculating domestic violence, where there increases. How are they calculating them now? Um, uh, and things like using uh, things like the recordings that are being uh, done or the number of people who have been calling in to report cases of domestic violence or the WhatsApp number as part of the counting. Because one of the things that uh, we see throughout the efforts that have been done before is, again, lack of data, which makes it very hard to um, make proper interventions. And the other thing is, okay, now you have lots of reports around um, domestic violence. What do you do about them, right? Uh, and how are people trained uh, to handle to handle some of these problems? So, so we see, again, there was not, a not uh, enough training. A lot of people would report cases of domestic violence and be told, let's get you together and you know you know so the shelters instead of being places in which uh, people actually run away from domestic violence the, the approaches or the, the the real preparation there uh, wasn't quite efficient if you want to put it or wasn't um, uh, wasn't a lot there's also not so many shelters and there isn't a lot of thinking of you know this propagation of the idea that a woman can run away and go to a shelter you know this it's almost unheard of in terms of the kind of message that you are sending to people so what was the message that was being sent around in terms of the media and so on was also uh, a little bit limited uh, on that end even if there were attempts to at least address it, as I said, through uh, whatever, you know, and introducing a WhatsApp number so that women don't have to call on the phone if they are uh, facing uh, such issues or helping women take cases to go to the police and file cases against uh, their abusers and so on. This was also um, some of the interventions that were, uh, um, th that were introduced, but Again, there weren't enough preparations, not enough outreach when you talk about Egypt, you know, the entire of Egypt and we're talking about nine or 11 shelters is really, really, really little. Um, so yeah, I guess that was the kind of what existed in terms of how we were prepared. Thank you so much, Dina. As 
gender-based domestic violence has been increasing in the last two years. Has the Egyptian government responded differently to, to, to this issue? Definitely. I think that is something, one of the things that the paper said, that it, the pandemic seemed to be a very good entry point to talk about pre-existing social conditions uh, or, or pre-existing problems that have been addressed by the government before, but as we said, with a bit of, you know, <clears throat> inefficiencies here and there, but the attempt to see, you know, and, and especially with the extreme rise in cases of domestic-based violence, to see or to make the, the interventions much more efficient and to think about methane and water. So some of the things that started happening were training to people who work in these shelters, you know, proper training for how would you handle situations of, uh, of people coming during and specifically during Corona times, right? Um, because uh, Masalan, women would also have issues like uh, other healthcare issues that aren't addressed and you go to the shelter and there is corona and everyone is afraid of telling people to go to hospitals and so it's also weighing with women what are the kind of um, uh, their own medical needs that are not COVID related but that are impacted indirectly by COVID and that need some form of counseling and help and, and thinking about it. But we see that there's definitely been much more introductions of training. We, the papers recommend that more of these trainings continue to happen. Um, so, so this is one, one element, uh, for instance. I'd like to turn the discussion to the paper on social thinking in macroeconomic policies, which was co-authored by Amira Osman, uh, Hania Shulkami, and Shahir Zaki. Uh, the authors uh, note that the pandemic happened at the backdrop of declining uh, government expenditures uh, on uh, social spending. So um, to what extent can we say uh, that pre-existing uh, government social policies have shaped the impact of the pandemic on vulnerable populations in the country? One of the things we look at is how little there is in terms of spending on, on, the, on social protection and how Aslan it's also even put in terms of um, uh, with other, you know, even how it's calculated, it's calculated as, as an aggregate, as a number with uh, other um, uh, forms of government interventions that also include things like spending on infrastructure. So the actual spending on social protection, as we understand it, uh, is uh, is quite little and is not really fully formed in the sense of thinking about the different uh, different interventions. Not just in terms of and when we talk about social. Um, social protection, we're not only talking about the number that will go into, you know, projects like Takeful Karama or things like that, but also to think about, you know, what is the uh, investment on healthcare? What are our current investments on, um, or what are budget uh, allocations on to healthcare, which is again, the, yani, we're talking about numbers that are below averages uh, worldwide. Amr would be definitely the one who's more equipped to talk about uh, about the numbers, but but what we see is that um, our understanding of what constitutes uh, social protection is specifically in terms of budgeting is quite problematic and needs to be broadened a little bit. Like at the eve of the pandemic, right? We had already seen a decrease in social spending. And here we're thinking social spending in terms of healthcare, education, and uh, 
um, so, and social protection from 7% to 5%. So this is complementing what Amr is saying. We're seeing things like poverty rates going up uh, in very short periods of time and, and quite significant. If you're going from 7% to 5%, that's quite a big decrease uh, uh, on, on social spending. Um, same as well applies to education, which went down from 4% to 2.3% and so on. So we're this, this is the background you know, and, and I'm talking here, you know, the fiscal year um, uh, uh, 14 to fiscal year 19. This is where the papers put the numbers. And this is right at the eve of the onset of the pandemic. So we're very unprepared in the sense of uh, this is why we're saying that when we come to think of social protection, it comes as an afterthought, right? Because what, what has been happening structurally with the increased borrowing, with the increased neoliberalization and so on, and dependence on uh, <clears throat> money coming from abroad is these uh, massive changes in, uh, in spending, even if masalan healthcare remained almost the same, I think it was at 1.3%, which is still very, very little uh, out of the, the whole GDP, but the, the general sense of public spending was, was significantly decreased. Hmm. So um, this this was one of the of the things that were uh, uh, like brought to the to the attention of the of the readers uh, in the very framing of the of the papers uh, and not only in the uh, paper that uh, directly tackled the question of social uh, protection. Of course, it wasn't just the, the quantitative uh, uh, decline uh, in the uh, like whether uh, uh, social protection uh, is dealt with as a percentage of total expenditure or of the GDP. Uh, of course, Egypt uh, uh, like was and remains uh, in a context of uh, austerity, uh, especially uh, following the, the IMF uh, deal in, in late 2016. And uh, one of the uh, very interesting things is that the uh, Egyptian uh, government has clearly prioritized uh, the, uh, what they call the maintenance of many of the uh, gains uh, that were achieved on the macroeconomic uh, front uh, despite the pandemic. Uh, and uh, like this implied uh, keeping uh, the, uh, well, like expenditure under control, um, like as, as part of the, uh, well, commitment uh, to the uh, IMF uh, deal, even though, of course, the, the program itself had expired. Uh, but then the IMF, of course, came back into the picture uh, with the uh, emergency funds uh, and later on the standby agreement. So this is extremely important here that the overall macroeconomic uh, uh, framework uh, definitely uh, limited the space, the fiscal space, as was used in the in the paper that was available uh, for uh, uh, policy or for, for like policymakers uh, in order to devise the uh, tools necessary. Uh, to meet the challenges that were uh, uh, like raised by the by the pandemic situation, so th this is one thing, and that's why the the conclusion of the of the social uh, protection uh, uh, paper is on the one hand that the fiscal space has been quite limited, and I think that this was not uh, like wholly uh, left to the uh, decision makers uh, who are uh, uh, well quite committed to fiscal discipline uh, not very much uh, receptive of the idea that this is uh, uh, like a rather uh, uh, like uh, uh, like a, a situation of of emergency that may require uh, the the state to go out of its way in order to attend uh, to the specific needs especially that the pandemic hit 
uh, almost immediately after uh, the uh, first round of uh, some of the, of the harshest austerity measures that were implemented in Egypt, and that resulted in uh, an increase in the official poverty rate by almost 5% in less than three years. Uh, so um, the thing is that uh, the other conclusion that is related to the first point uh, is that social protection was an afterthought uh, uh, for many of the policymakers. So the, the priority was clearly to keep the budget deficit under control as much as they could, uh, to keep gener uh, like generating the kind of macroeconomic indicators that were uh, appealing to, uh, I wouldn't say just investors, but specifically financial investors in Egypt's external debt. Uh, so many of these uh, uh, things resulted in the, uh, um, well, like the, the social protection uh, becoming second or third uh, on, the, on, the, on the list. And again, this was quite, uh, uh, like this is very important for whichever kind of debate, uh, not necessarily public debate because this is not uh, abundant in, in Egypt, but I mean like the, the, the kind of debate even within the circles of, uh, of experts or academics or people that might be interested in uh, uh, specific questions of healthcare or social uh, uh, protection, that the overall policy uh, and macroeconomic uh, uh, context are very important. And that's why the, the paper is really a very good contribution uh, the, the, like by, by, by Shahir Zaki and uh, Hania Shulami is a very good contribution in setting the agenda for a future debate even after uh, uh, the, the, the pandemic, because the, the focus is really on social protection uh, in times of the pandemic rather than just the pandemic itself. Thank you, Amr and Dina. This brings us to the end of our conversation in our second of two episodes on the Social Protection Egypt Project. To our viewers, thank you for joining us and see you next time.